You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome to episode 316 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, deep into the night on Sunday into Monday. And I'm joined by Eric Cole to celebrate, commemorate, mark, whatever words you want. The Braves now lead the LCS by 2-0 margin against the Dodgers. Hello, sir. Brad, I appreciate you coming on to talk with me about baseball. I know you've been traveling a whole bunch. Uh, I have also been kind of traveling a whole bunch, so we're kind of a bit of the walking wounded tonight. But uh, if we're going to talk about a game together late night uh, as two old people, I'm excited to be able to talk about this one with you, that's for sure. Yeah, obviously, complete madness in this one. Uh, Back and forth, kind of in similar fashion to game one. The Dodgers have now led three times, three separate times in the series in two games and have lost both games. The Braves have just kind of come back and come back and come back and we'll go through it all as we always do. But Eddie Rosario, the big hero of the night in multiple ways, uh, clearly has the walk-off with a little bit of a hat tip to Corey Seager at shortstop. Um, The first back-to-back walk-offs for the Braves in the playoffs since 1991 in the World Series, Shades of Mark Lemke. Yep, I remember remember that series well. Yeah, Shades of Mark Lemke, shots to the Lemmer. Uh, but four hits for Rosario, all singles. And he, by the way, the first player with four hits and a walk-off hit in a playoff game since some guy named David Ortiz in 2004. I'm not sure what happened in that in that playoff run for that for that player and that team. But yeah, is he, yeah, was he good? Yeah, he seemed remember. to be pretty good. good. So uh, yeah. you know, they won this game with all of the heroics from Austin Riley and Eddie Rosario and the bullpen. They beat Max Scherzer, uh, who was not like terrible, but wasn't quite his dominant self. And uh, we will talk about Ron Washington and the Ron Washington game uh, throughout <laughs> throughout this podcast Good as well. God, uh, heart stopping as always Ron, for Wash. But, green uh, light Washington. Yeah, Ron has never thrown up a stop sign in his entire career, and it worked out in this spot. So plenty to get to, uh, but honestly, uh, clearly a lot of fun. And before we dive in here, I guess I'll ask you. I mean. There, there were lots of references to like magic on on Twitter this evening. Obviously, you don't want to get over your skis too much. This is the same team that lost to this same team last year with a three-one lead in this same series. So you don't want to go too crazy, but it does feel uh, pretty exciting at the moment with a lot breaking right for the Braves in a way that doesn't always happen. Yeah, and it's you know when I talked about this series when we did the preview show with Sean, and I've been kind of talking about it elsewhere. It's that it felt like that the Braves pitching staff was just going to have to bend but not break, and the offense was going to have to come up with big hits and big spots. And so far, that is held true. If you told me 
that through the first two games, the Dodgers would score a total of, of six runs, I would think the Braves would have a really good shot to at least be 1-1, if not 2-0 in this series. Um, especially when you throw in like a bullpen game in game one, right? Um, and it's been, I mean, the, there's so many like little micro, like each inning in this game was in completely wild and its own little microcosm of like, you know, like things that were happening, what went right, what went wrong. But that the Braves are winning this series two games to none with Ian Anderson throwing three innings and Freddie Freeman forgetting how to hit a baseball altogether blows my mind. Like truly blows my mind. And they've they've done it a lot of different ways, you know, with you know, you know, from big home runs to, you know, Eddie Rosario becoming a small ball genius and, you know, scoring on wild pitches and, you know, gymnastic slides and things like that. It just I, w- I wish I knew what to say beyond that. I, I kind of get it. I kind of get the whole team of destiny thing. It was funny. Uh, I texted Scott before the preview show because I was trying to get your predictions, and you know, in your cowardice, you refused to do so. But <laughs> but uh, but uh, but Scott texted me, Braves in seven. This is the team of destiny. Now, for Scott to say that is kind of wild. Now he also picked Freddie Freeman as series MVP, and that's not going to happen unless something crazy happens in the next few games. But it just – there, everything this season that could have gone wrong basically did go wrong. Then they roar back and are one of the, be- one of the best teams after the trade deadline, and they, they completely outplay the Brewers. And through these first two games, they just made it happen. They just made it work. Last night it was Austin Riley doing Austin Riley things. Uh, fun, fun fact uh, – Sean was actually calling his shot of a Austin Riley walk-off uh, for episode number 316, which is this one, uh, with the with the nice wrestling reference to the Stone Cold 316 crowd. Uh, he was one game off, so, you know, had to have to Sean for getting getting it almost right. Uh, and, you know, back-to-back walk-offs in the playoffs is just wild in itself. These games have been super close, and the Braves have, like, other than, like, I suppose what happened earlier in, earlier in the season where it seemed like every close game, things just didn't go the Braves' way. In these games, like, a bad base running error in game one, like, keeps the run off the board for the Dodgers, and they walk that game off. The Braves walk it off, rather. And then in this game, the, the Dodgers seemingly had two runners on base every single inning, and they just kept plugging away and kept kept it close, and then they end up walking this one off. It's... This, I mean, you know, the, the rest of this, I mean, at the end of the day, this is the Dodgers. They could easily win the next four games, and we're going to talk about what might have been. But, you know, for these first two games, it's been pretty special. Yeah, it has been, and we'll uh, we'll clearly get into everything that transpired in this one. You mentioned the uh, all the left on base by the Dodgers. I'm not even sure what the final count was. I know it was, I know it was 10 at one point in, like, the seventh inning. might have even been more than that by the end, and they just couldn't get it going, and uh, the Braves managed to make some big plays. So, We'll dive in now uh, to what actually transpired in this one. We'll uh, pick our spots as to how we want to go deep, but um, I guess we got to start here. Uh, if if I tell you before the game starts, Eric, this is a favorite convention of mine. If I tell you a certain thing before the game starts, what happens? And uh, if I tell you that the score is two nothing Dodgers within five pitches, um, you, you got to think the Braves are a pretty big underdog in that spot, given uh, Scherzer's on the mound and all that stuff. And that's what happened in this game. A first pitch 
two-run homer by Corey Seager to uh, kind of stun the home crowd, stunning Anderson. And obviously Ian's not ever his – well, I shouldn't say ever. He's rarely his best in the first inning, and that was the case here. But uh, it definitely wavered out of the gate. Yeah, uh, and Ian struggled with a lot of things. Uh, and it, the first thing was kind of – it set the tone for the, the night. He, his command of his fastball was kind of all over the place. He, the, the, the velocity was there, so you could kind of get away with it. But the thing that was, like, even more concerning was with the breaking ball, you know, it, it not only was the command off, but he was, like, leaving it fat. And, like, against this Dodgers team, you just can't leave, like, a 73-mile-an-hour curveball just down the middle. It's going to get hit really, really hard by basically their entire lineup. Um, combine that with just, like, I mean, Corey Singer's, Seager is just basically Thanos against the Braves, it seems like. And it's that, – that was – a pretty brutal start to the game to be sure. Uh, just all of a sudden having the, those two guys just immediately account for two runs. And, you know, it took him forever to get out of that inning. He threw almost 30 pitches. Um, I will say that, you know, at the, obviously at the top of the first, after the top of the first, it wasn't, it didn't feel great. And there was already like bullpen activity in that inning, uh, which, you know, shouts to, you know, the Braves for, you know, understanding that they might have to, you know, get the hook out pretty quickly. But, even when the Braves went down in like one, two, three in the, in the bottom of the inning, like you could tell that like Max wasn't quite right either. You know, he just like, wasn't locating his pitches. You know, when he's like, when generally when he misses, it's just a little bit here and there, like a little bit outside, a little bit high, a little bit low, but he was like missing pretty badly in some spots and they kind of got bailed out by some bad swings from the Braves. Uh, you know, Freddie Freeman just looked completely flummoxed against him, but I it just it didn't feel like Max was going to be like throwing seven or eight innings like even from the first inning, he just didn't it just didn't seem like it was going to be that sort of game. So I was a little bit hardened by that, but you know, ultimately what it would come down to is whether or not Ian could settle down and you know whether or not the, the Braves offense could get anything done. But that first inning definitely wasn't a great feeling. Yeah, and just to put a couple of numbers on it, Ian Ian's ERA this year in the first inning is six point three eight. So it wasn't like a shock to see him stumble out of the gate, but he had. He was not uh, in his best place, as you kind of alluded to. And you know, famously, he had a sub-1 ERA in the playoffs career coming into today. No longer the case. Um, yeah, yeah, career in quotation marks. He has yeah, one. I think it was five starts, uh, whatever it was. But yeah. uh, regardless, uh, it could have been worse, honestly. They, they did a decent job, I would say, avoiding further damage. It could have got broken open, you know, not really to his credit. But Anderson kind of missed middle-middle to Bellinger. Um and he didn't capitalize on it. He just kind of barely missed it on for the final out of the inning. And it could have been worse, honestly, than 2 nothing. So uh, that's worth putting a pin in. Um, kind of quiet from from that point forward for a little bit, uh, although Anderson did bounce back and pitch much better in the second. Um, you know, Johan Camargo makes an appearance in the third inning. <laughs> Uh, what that, 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 that's not where you want to where you want to be um, in the National League Championship Series in the third inning. Johan Camargo is the first bat off the bench. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they used uh, we can fast forward, but they they used everybody in this game. Uh, I guess technically uh, Contreras didn't have to come in, but he was going to come in, and they were they were going to have nobody uh, on the bench if this game went to extra innings. So it was uh, it was early, often, and busy. Uh, managerially in this game on both sides, both Roberts and Sticker were busy. Let's just say, in this contest. Um, but the the big the first big swing of the evening for uh, at least in Atlanta's favor was in the fourth inning. Um, after they go away from Anderson, they bring in Chavez, who actually pitched quite well in the fourth inning. Um, Riley walks, and then Jock Peterson gets some uh, Dodgers revenge off of Scherzer, a 454 foot majestic blast 
from Jock Peterson. Uh, absolutely destroyed into the clubhouse, just annihilated. Yeah, I mean, his. Uh, I think he has 12 or 13 home runs uh, career in the postseason, dating back to his time with the Dodgers. This is the longest of his career. And, uh, I mean, 112 miles an hour. I'm not even sure. I mean, if you haven't seen the play, I would just recommend watching it. But we'll try to describe it just by saying what we just said. Like, it was absolutely annihilated. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't matter if it was just one foot over the wall or 50 feet over the wall, but it was 50 feet over the wall and uh, an absolute no doubter. And to do that off Scherzer when you're, you know, it wasn't like it was over or anything, but you're, you're down to nothing. And um, one of the best pitchers of the last 15 years is on the mound to, to have that, uh, that deficit erased with one swing is uh, I'm sure inspiring and that kind of lifted the rest of the, uh, the boat there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, from a morale perspective, you don't want to feel like, you got punched in the mouth in the first inning and you want to feel like you can like keep pace with them offensively, which is I, again, what I kind of get back to is just, I felt like the Braves, the key for the Braves in this series is just, they're going to have to keep pace offensively because if you look at the lineups versus what the, the Braves are trotting out there, I mean, the guys that are at the bottom of the Dodgers lineup could be batting cleanup for a lot of teams. You know what I mean? Like, and so you have to just be able to keep pace with them, you know, in some respect. And, you know, when you have a, Jock coming up in a big spot like that, and it, it really helps that he's kind of a high energy guy. So there was kind of no doubt he was going to be going up there hacking because you know I, I, he doesn't really he's never really struck me as the you know if the, as the pitch comes slap the ball the other way type. He's going up there to tank it, and he absolutely crushed that ball. You know got the got the entire dugout fired up, and I think that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. Is like you know they kept grinding at bats. The, 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 I mean going into the fourth inning, what was the nice thing that they had going for them is that through four innings, like they were really getting Scherzer's pitch count up. They were still working deep at bats, uh, even if they weren't like, you know, putting the ball and play with a lot of authority against them, just making him work for a lot of a different indifferent at bats. And, you know, in that inning, it just kind of, of they eventually got to him, you know, Riley had a really good at bat to draw that walk. Uh, Jock tanks that one and all of a sudden it's a tie game. And then, you know, just one batter later, uh, well, you know, just in the fifth inning, they managed to run Scherzer out of the game. So that felt like the least the Braves had a pretty good shot. Yeah, I mean, the fifth inning was kind of fireworks, despite there not being too many fireworks. It was interesting. Like, on one hand, when the Braves are pitching, uh, they go to Mentor for Chavez. And uh, I saw some people that were frustrated by this because Chavez threw six pitches in the fourth and looked good. And also because Mentor's coming in with two righties up at the top of the order. Granted, they are good righties, uh, and Minter, I think I have more confidence in him than most of the other guys in the in, in the bullpen. Um, but, of course, he, he comes in and walks bets on four pitches and kind of scares everybody. They they end up having to intentionally walk Will, um, Will Smith to get to Gavin Lux, um, which was not like a no-brainer decision. It ended up working out pretty well. Um, they get out of that with no damage, given how Minter was not his best either. That was, that was fortunate. I mean, did you have any issue with going to Minter? Um, not not because it was early necessarily, but just because of the situation, because of you know Chavez was looking okay, and because of the situation at the top of the order with I guess you wanted to face Seager is maybe the thinking. Yeah, I actually had zero problems with it. Uh, one is that the idea of pitching Jesse Chavez against the top of the Dodgers order is in itself like regardless of what three players they decide to put out there, yeah, is a pretty terrifying a ter- terrifying thing. Um, I mean, look, and Jesse was great in that inning. He's been surprisingly good for the Braves this year. But, you know, you're, you're kind of – you're playing with fire a little bit, I think, with that particular situation. And more importantly, Mookie's a guy who traditionally is, like, slightly reverse splits. And I don't think that there's a good way to pitch to that part of the lineup. 
So if you think that Seager's the guy that's going to kill you, then you have, bringing in the lefty makes a ton of sense, right? Because like if you have Mookie, Seager, and Trey Turner, what reliever in your bullpen are you like super thrilled about throwing against those three guys? The answer is there's not a lot of them, right? So at least like you know there's there's there are reasons to say you know what if Mookie is slight slightly worse against lefties, you know obviously walking him on four pitches that's not a the you bring in the wrong reliever problem that's a your reliever not doing his job problem, and you know then you get up you get put in a relatively decent position against Seager. Are the base runners a little bit disconcerting? Yeah, he, I mean, and certainly Minter was kind of all over the place for you know big chunks of that inning. But in terms of like the decision making, like I was perfectly fine with it, and I was a little bit surprised. I, I think that the I just me being kind of aware of you know Mookie being kind of a reverse split sort of guy, uh, like was it kind of initially apparent to me, and I don't know if a lot of folks were aware of that. And more importantly, I just like at the end of the day, I didn't think that there were a lot of great options there. So yeah. you know, just if you if that's the, the the live arm that you want to put up in that situation, like if they had brought in Matzik or if they had brought in Luke Jackson, all those would have been fine for me. Uh, I, I just like the idea of Jesse Chavez is like your go-to guy <laughs> to put out the fire. I'm just, I'm just never going to be comfortable with that. It's just not going to be true. Well, it's something I something I plan to bring up later on, but it's actually a good, good a sort of good bridge now. Is in the sixth inning, um, they went to Jacob Webb, and he hadn't pitched in 15 days, and I kind of think he's always been kind of too maligned by some corners of, of Braves fandom. But I mean, I wrote, I literally wrote down in the notes, who else is it supposed to be? And that's kind of what you were saying a second ago. Like this entire playoff run so far, they've been pretty lucky or fortunate, or at least had some stuff break their way to where they've only had to kind of rely on their guys that they actually trust. They've been able to get through using Matzik, Luke Jackson and Will Smith with a sprinkling of mentor. And that's been enough because the starting pitching has been so awesome to this point. Um, that's not going to happen in a full game, a full seven game series. And beyond mentor, like you can tell me who you prefer, but none of these guys are on the trustworthy list right now. I mean, they, later in this game, Chris Martin pitched in the eighth inning of this game today. That, that which I saw that, and I was just like full clinch mode. Well, if this is a regular like, season, I, honestly, I mean, yeah. we could we could spend ten minutes on this. Like, it's actually a pretty well, on no, brand but... sticker thing to throw out a guy because you're down two in the eighth instead of instead of tied or whatever. <laughs> so, but uh, uh, I mean, and, and, and it worked out. It so did work it's hard to be upset. Um, like, I was even surprised he was on the NLCS roster. Well, period. yeah, I mean, kind of too. But I mean, again. If, the, the biggest the, the, issue in this whole game is that Ian Anderson threw three innings. Well, that's the yeah, say They were due. They were due for one of those, but you said it. I said it now. Like, I know that nobody's super comfortable with guys like Martin and Webb and Chavez, but like, you can't get through this entire series with four relievers. Like, they're gonna have to go deeper, and those are the guys they have on the roster. I mean. Yep. They brought in Enoa a little bit more aggressively earlier, uh, early in the playoffs, and he didn't pitch great, and fans were really mad about it. So it's like, all right, who do you want? If you if you don't want Webb, like you, you can't throw Jackson, Matzik, and Smith for six innings every night. Those guys can't all throw two innings every night. It's just not going to be the case. So, uh, I, I mean, you can have your preferences for sure. Like um, maybe maybe you, maybe you strategize and honestly I kind of like the way they used Webb in this game because he faced the bottom of the order like he didn't look fantastic yeah. but like if you're going to bring him in bring him in clean and bring him in facing guys who are not Mookie Betts and Corey Seager like I, the, the Dodgers are pretty loaded even in the bottom half of the order but at least at least be strategic in that 
So, I mean, I trust me, we're not above criticizing bullpen management by any means, well, but I, I, the, overar- the overarching thing is, like, you have to put somebody on the mound. <laughs> I will say this, and I can say this pretty definitively. I think that Brian Snicker outmanaged Dave Roberts in this game. I think that's probably uh, true. Even if I didn't love everything that Snicker did, no. I think Roberts had a bad night, so I think I probably agree with you. Yeah, Yeah, because, I mean, that Dodgers bullpen is pretty good. And bring in Julio Urias out of the bullpen, like again, like he, that that guy has been like getting used to death. And I, he's also, I, he's I also starting that. game four now again. Like they, yeah, they, they it, announced that. So I, I don't think that was a good decision. I think that they have guys in that in that bullpen that can handle lefties reasonably well. Uh, and this was pointed out by by others. So that, like that's not like a new thought or anything like that. But the idea of like bringing in Urias, who like he isn't a bullpen arm, right? He's been a starter and. To like bring him in and just expect him just to like to blow away just blow away a bunch of lefties was kind of asking for trouble and now it kind of puts them not only puts them in a bad spot because they lost this game but now they're kind of in a, a worse spot for later on in the series too I I didn't love that um, yeah I just overall just not a great situation for the, the that the Dodgers put themselves in and I I, I genuinely think I mean like obviously Chris Martin pitching the eighth inning isn't like an ideal situation but in a situation where Ian Anderson only throws three innings, like he was going, Chris Martin was going to be pitching to some guys who know how to hit in some, like, you know, if he was pitching in the seventh or the sixth or wherever, like there's going to be some guys that could have feasibly given him trouble. And he was, and he was perfectly fine in the situation he came up in. But, you know, at the end of the day, like those, a lot of these guys were going to be pitching in this game regardless. And I, I'm, I am perfectly fine with where these guys were deployed. And, you know, the, the Braves took advantage of the opportunities when they got them. Right. And I, I, we obviously, we are willing to criticize when things are not what we like to see, but oh, uh, one of the one of the themes of this series, and again, it's the Braves are leading the series to nothing, so it hasn't quote unquote mattered. But one of the things that you notice when you look at these rosters is that the Dodgers have so much more depth. Like the Braves bench is like pretty terrible on paper at the moment. Like their pinch hitting options are just nil right now with without Soler, they just don't have anybody to pinch hit. Like I, I, I have seen worse. Braves postseason benches. Uh, that's true. You're right about that, but it's still bad. I mean, it's like degrees of bad. I agree, but I mean, you're throwing out. Arcia looked like a pitcher when he came in to hit today. He, he was awful. Uh, like Adrian's like struck out. I mean, they, they they just don't have guys. So and then and the same thing in the bullpen. So like, they're smoke and mirroring this thing right now. Um, but that's one of the things that you notice in the series is like they don't have. There's not a lot of depth to work with, and they're kind of just kind of managing around that. Um. All right, before we get back into sort of what transpired and uh, kind of go through this thing and then look ahead to game three, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Eric, let's talk about Max Scherzer leaving early. We, we kind of referenced it earlier, um, but I think just broadly speaking, being able to chase a Cy Young award-winning uh, monster before he finishes the fifth inning and doing it in a tie game on a day when Ian Anderson did not have his stuff, all of that uh, is a pretty big win. I mean, they weren't winning the game Absolutely. when he left, but like that situation, you have to just take it. I mean, if you, if you can basically say Anderson pitches Scherzer to a draw, uh, quote unquote, in terms of like impact, you got to just take that and run. No, absolutely. And again, I kind of, I didn't think they're going to pull him out that early because he was only like seventy something pitches, right? It was pretty. It was pretty uh, early. I got, I got, some, I got some text yeah, well, about yeah, that. Yeah, well, yeah, it was, it was, it was like he was at seventy something pitches, but you know, there was a lot of talk like his his velo was down and like he didn't look awesome. And the Braves were starting to like put together some better at bats and hit the ball a little harder against him. So I kind of understand the impulse, but at the same time, like, do you really want in this game after a bullpen game to all of us like immediately go to your bullpen? Which I mean, the Dodgers, I mean, the back end of their bullpen is very good, but I'm not sure if I'd like be like, no, the, my my bullpen will be able to carry this for four and two thirds, you know, the rest of the way, no problem after a bullpen game. I I would have tried to like at least get him through the fifth, but you know. I I understand what you know. The quick hook in this situation, where you want to make sure that you're taking advantage of every single game because they all matter so much. Uh, but I do think that the hook was a little bit early, even though I admit that like Scherzer did not look awesome, and as the like in that fifth inning particularly, he was not looking particularly good. So I sort of get it, but at the same time, I probably would have kept him in. Right. I mean, I think I think of myself as pretty aggressive in getting stars out of the game in the playoffs. I think I'm definitely on that side of things. And even then, I was a little bit surprised just because of who he is. Um, he, I, I agree well, with you. He was not his. Oh, I'm, surpri- I'm, I'm surprised he went willingly. Like, well, that too. Like, yeah, he didn't seem to be ready to fight in the way that he normally would be either, which is maybe that's indicative of why it took him out. He just didn't have his best stuff or whatever. But noteworthy, I just want to at least say, like, look – Yes, the Braves then trailed later on in this game, but if you just stop the game there and say, is this, is this a good situation or a bad situation for the Braves, you got to say good when it's tied and Scherzer's leaving the game. That's, that's a pretty good situation okay. to be in. Um, all right, we'll, we'll sort of fast forward here. You know, Webb had some issues in the sixth, but gets gets out of it without damage, um, thanks in part to Albert Pujols looking like he's 140 years old instead of 40, uh, however old he is. He looked awful in that play appearance <laughs> against Don <laughs> yeah, he he got uh he got dismissed by Matzik. I mean you know it was like a five pitch at bat or something like that, but Whew. definitely felt uh <laughs> it definitely felt worse than that. It just felt like he was just the wash chronicles. Your life, yeah. It was, well, you know, was you know, he's look, old. It's the ghost of Albert Poles. Yeah, yeah. He's an old man. Uh, that worked out well. Actually, that was a credit to Snicker. Uh, I wanted to at least give him that one because uh, basically the Dodgers announced a pinch hitter. Snicker went to Matzik. I, I think he probably realized it was going to be Pujols in that spot. If he didn't, I think it was pretty flagrantly obvious that that's what was going to happen. And uh, I will take Matzik against Pujols in that spot um, when compared to Webb against a left-handed pinch hitter. So that worked out pretty well and uh, all the way around. Um, but from there, Matzik in his, in his second inning of work, at least his second um, partial inning of work in the seventh, was not his best. So he he walks Mookie Betts, gets two outs, then they have to actually give an intentional walk to Will Smith. They bring in Luke Jackson, who's been nails this season, as we've talked about a number of times, but he was not good in this game. He, he hits Justin Turner, gives up, gives up a two-run double to uh, 
to Chris Taylor. I said two round double because uh, <laughs> d- d- double unquote. Listen, they ca- they called it a double. Uh, it's kind of similar to the Eddie Rosario walk off quote unquote single. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Guillermo Heredia. <laughs> oh, let's, I, I, let's look at the exit velocities of those. Oh, sure, days, so. certainly, certainly, <laughs> uh, certainly. Uh, uh, Rosario's was er- was more well earned. That's for sure. But uh, Guillermo Heredia, who. I saw some people describing it as a defensive replacement. That's not really what that was. The game was tied. They weren't like trying to hold a lead at that point. Like he's just their fourth outfielder right now. Like they had to pull him in. If that had been Pache in center field, uh, and that happened, then then obviously would have been funnier uh, in some respects. But Heredia just had no chance to get there. Didn't play it well. Gets by him, and that. Uh, I wonder uh, what you think about this. Do you think that two runs score anyway? Because I think they do. Even if, even if he even if he uh, doesn't like get by, I think they probably scored two runs there. So if it's Heredia out there and he just plays the ball in front of him, I still think they both run score. That's what I think too. Uh, I think if Pache is out there, that ball's caught. Okay, so uh, that, was, that was my that was my follow up because you know again they're not going to put Pache. Whether you think about right. this or not, there is no scenario where Pache is playing in a tie game in the seventh inning unless there's an injury. It's not happening. Like he's not coming in in that spot. As the roster is currently constructed, it is very clear. That if like that sort of you know double switch weird stuff's happening, Guillermo Guillermo is going in first. Yeah. That's just what's going to happen. Well, they they trust his bat more, and I I think they probably should. He's he's a, probably uh, he's he's a better hitter right now than Pache is at the, in the at the major league level. Defensively, Pache is a lot better. Uh, I think we all kind of agree on that. But regardless, Pache is just kind of on this team to be like the twenty fifth, twenty sixth man defensive replacement pinch. Um, he pinch ran in this game, and that was his role. Um, but I. I I had the same thought as everybody else. Like, yeah, Pache would have been nice there, but especially in a tie game, they're just not going to do that in that spot. It wasn't yeah, even like it was I, a tie inning. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it was. I mean, that was like kind of like a, a flare line drive. It was but, ugly though you know, by by Heredia. <laughs> it was a bad play. Well, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it was. I still think that the, even if he fields it cleanly, he's going to have a tough time stopping the second run from scoring. Yes, like it's going to take a like because like everyone's running and you know he's going to make a really good throw on the run. Like he has to pick that and just pitch it so cleanly and I, I I under look I understand what he was trying to do you either have to dive there or not or you just have or, yeah. or not you can't do what he did which is kind of like you know trying and to that's do it why it, it looks so it looks so bad that I think people are overstating the impact of the play like because of how I, bad like how bad of a route slash approach he took um they didn't allow an extra run I feel like the the way it was being discussed was that that cost them a run and it really wasn't the case. Like he either catches it and they don't score, I, or I, he doesn't catch it and they score two runs. I think so. It's like I, I, I think it's pretty tough for him to get the second, stop the second run from scoring. Yeah, I mean it's possible. Don't get me wrong. Oh I sure, like he could have thrown him out. I mean, if, not, yeah, yeah. If sure. he picks it clean and like makes a like a rifle throw to home, then sure he could do it. But eh. I just want to be at least you a know, little I, bit, to, a little bit careful with that, just because it was a bad defensive play. Like I think we both agree on that. It was not very good the way he handled it. Yeah. But uh, the impact of it the, was not crazy. The, the 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 biggest part of that play that didn't get talked about enough is Jock Peterson got over to center field to back to that save up the third run. Over. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I and if so, if like for example, if Redia dives there and it gets past him, like Jock's still there. Does that make sense? Yep. Like unless like you know like Redia like you know knocks it Kicks into like left or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like but like the the biggest part of that play was Jock was right there and. You know, the runner that made it the third didn't have any interest whatsoever in trying to score that third run because Jock would have gotten him because he was over there so fast. So, like, hat tip to Jock there because, he, you know, that was a big part of that play. Yeah, that was a good play by Jock. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, they avoided further damage. Uh, Luke gets a big strikeout with the bases loaded. And, uh, you know, 
I almost not forgotten about that, but it could have been six two seven two real easy there if he let it spiral and he didn't, which is uh, that's ended up being a big, a big play. Obviously, the Dodgers at that point had left ten guys on base through seven innings, which uh, came back to bite them. Um, as we uh, it, it, it ended up being twenty in the game. You're kidding me. Twenty. I'm looking at the left on base right now oh, on the box. Lord. Um, okay, that's a lot of that's a lot of those. Um, so we talked about Martin pitching in the eighth. He actually pitched well, so we'll leave it there for now. Uh, and then the Braves make their uh, their second dent on the scoreboard, um, featuring Eddie Rosario. And this is what I like to call the Ron Washington inning. Um, so funny! Yep. I love we love Wash on this podcast. Um, Rosario singles one of his four in this game. He goes to second on what was a I would describe as a pretty risky play down by two. He goes to second on a fly ball by Freddie. Um, it wasn't that close, but I think I think a good throw. He probably is out. At second base. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, and, like, Rosario's had some base running plays this season that have been questionable at best. Um, like that like, haven't like gone these? Well. <laughs> they worked, but well, they but, were but, 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 but no, Well, no, some of them didn't go well. So, yeah. um, I'm... <laughs> the the EY versus Snit thing in terms of, like, aggressive base... Well, and, well, let, I'm not even going to call what Wash is, is aggressive base running. It's just, like... Green. There's not even a, there's not even a decision made there <laughs> It's just you know go if you want to make the turn. I mean he'll 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 send Travis Darno on a ground ball on a short ground ball from first to try to run run home. So I that slide of Rosario's that 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 was the that that made the night for me. Like yeah, I know. That, well, I mean I don't know how he was safe. I just I don't understand how he got around it. But no, I mean the combination. I mean the odds of him being safe at second and home in that sequence. And by, obviously he um, he ends up coming around after a single by Ozzy and I thought it was another bad send by, by wash it ended up working. Um, but honestly the throw kind of beat him there and he had this awesome, like awesome slide. I, I, I don't know. Yep. Even Very watching the replay real. multiple times, it was just a, it was picture perfect. I mean, you can't really draw up any better I, than that. I, and, and I and I don't blame the Dodgers at all for trying to replay it because honestly, when they probably saw it, they're like, "There's no way." I mean, I had the same thought live. I, I yeah. thought I thought he was out live. I did. I mean, just I've got to be honest. I was like, I thought that, I think he's out, and they called him safe. I'm like, all right, they're gonna he's gonna be reviewed. We all knew he was gonna be reviewed, and then they showed the first replay, and I'm like, he's safe, man. Like he's in there, and it was it was a great great slide. Uh, again, an aggressive send. Um, as washes wants to do, but it worked. Um, and you know, the only, the, the thing is actually, uh, that was crazy. And I think Ron Darling pointed out on the broadcast and rightly so Ozzy didn't get to second on that throw home, which he absolutely should have been at second base in that spot. And it almost bit them because Riley hits the double, which was mashed by the way. Austin Riley is a uh, very strong, um, that's, 100, a, that's a strong dude. Yeah. 107 miles an hour to left center. Ozzy is flying around as everyone knows he's very fast um but it's still like a fairly close play at the plate whereas if he's at second which is where he should have been he scores standing up and it's there's no drama at all so it didn't matter but uh i'm glad it didn't matter because if ozzy gets thrown out at the plate there or if they don't score a run because he's not in second base that's one that we could have circled but um in the end they're they're running good right now (laughs) so so i have a theory here i think that when ozzy was running that he thought there was no chance that Rosario was going to round third and head for home. Maybe, when he yeah, saw the, I, don't, I wouldn't when, when, he, when, he, when he saw the throw coming in, he might have thought that they were trying to get him, right? I wouldn't blame like, him. Just like, 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 in the, like in the moment, like, and you don't want to make that out at second. Like, you really, really don't in that situation. Because then you have, like, you know, then you're, it's, it's just all around bad. 
And I, I think he might have gotten fooled a little bit in the moment in that situation. I'm not going to like dog on Ozzy too much. I like, and he's usually the guy that will take an extra base at every available opportunity. I think that he thought that there's just no way that like Rosario was gonna was gonna be able to try to score on that. And uh, yeah, he did. It was kind of wild. And then Austin Riley, I don't, I don't even know what to say about him anymore. It's you I know, mean, he's just out of his mind. I mean, we've talked about it. Uh, Scott and I laughed and ate even more crow last night on the podcast about Riley, and he's just been ridiculous all season long. He's been dialed in, and he keeps having big hit after big hit. I mean, that ball was again just smoked, um, and not hit like shallow. I think, I think it was. I think it flew like three eighty, three ninety into left center, and was just mashed. So. A huge play there. Uh, they end up tying it in the eighth, and that sets up the uh, the roller coaster of the ninth inning. Uh, so let's get there now. Um, what was in your mind, Eric, when uh, the ball was flying through the air off Trey Turner's bat uh, against Will Smith? 400, 450 feet, 108 miles an hour off the bat. I was guessing it uh, as I saw it. I, yeah. I thought that ball was crushed. <laughs> Four, I thought that ball was 400, destroyed. 403 feet was the uh, StatCast measurement. Uh, there was a, a Twitter account flying around that said it was it was out of the ballpark in every single park except for Truist Park, which Mike Petriello yeah. said was not true. So uh, I trust Mike on that one as he uh, works for the league and has StatCast data up to his ears. So I'm going to think that's not that's not true. But I will say this, it was gone in some ballparks, and it was gone at Truist Park a lot of the time. I think if it's like a day game or if it's in August, that ball's gone. If there's a slight wind out, that ball's like in orbit. Like it was crushed. And, uh, like, again, pretty much the peak Will Smith experience, the first pitch he sees to a really good hitter, and he just gets annihilated. The first pitch? Uh, it, was, it was literally it laugh was, out loud funny. It was, it was yeah, literally it, funny. It, it, just, the ball was crushed, and, <laughs> and, and then the rest of the inning was fine. You know it, was was, it was Will Smith. He struck yeah. out Will Smith. It was, the, it was the Gemini Man experience uh, for yep. the second out. But, no, I mean – Obviously, I've been a little bit higher on Will Smith than other people have. I've been a little bit more defensive of him. Uh, it is still hilarious. like so on brand, so funny. Like even in, in the tension of that moment, like everyone is—it's playoff baseball. Everybody's on the edge of their seat. I, I, I quite literally laughed out loud at, at just the synergy of Will Smith allowing the deepest possible flyout on the first pitch of the ninth inning. It was the funniest thing I've seen in a while. So it worked. It was fine. He got out of it. He's been good actually. His results have been great the last like three weeks so and, and and the last few games like other than that pitch he's been like yeah he's been good. It's, it, it's not even being results oriented like he's been legitimately good oh he's like that, he that, 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 yeah. oh, that all those sliders yep. and they were all just back foot and like smith just had nothing for him nothing just and i was like okay all right that that works and then well uh, he's good he's good man when, when he's dialed in there's a reason why will smith is making 13 million dollars a year and it's because when yes. he's good he's really good uh yep. so Okay, it's time to, uh, before we can celebrate again, it's time to talk about the beginning of the bottom of the ninth, which was interesting. Um, I was hated, Brad. Yeah, I was pretty mad, too. Uh, Darno shatters a bat uh, with singles. That was fortunate. Um, they go to Pache, which he's their best pinch runner, but the combination of going to Pache to run and also asking Davey Swanson, he of 30 home runs, to bunt, against a guy throwing 103 uh, was not my favorite. Uh, I'm not a bunt guy anyway. I'll try to not go on a full full rant here, but I truly don't understand that beyond just the very, very old school move the runner over. I I understand 
the principle. Before anybody yells at me, I know why people bunt. It's to move the runner over. I get it. The combination of all those things between Dansby being really more of a power bat at this point in time, plus plus Gratterall, plus burning a pinch runner when you're not going to let him run, all just lunacy. And, uh, I mean, it won't always be this clean, but the bunt working out very poorly also kind of added to it. All right. You're, you were a lot nicer about it than I'm going to be. I'm, tr- I was try- I mean, I'm sure you heard no, me trying no, to couch it a little I'm, bit. I, I'm, I I'm not even going to pretend. So I, I don't mind I don't mind Pache pinch running. I do mind that you're not going to be aggressive with him if you're going to have a pinch runner out there. And I especially have issues with Dansby Bunton for a number of reasons. One, Dansby's a fastball hitter, and that's all this guy throws. Two, the guy throws 103 with arm side run, so that squaring around and bunting like is more likely to kill the batter than actually result in something good happening. And you're doing it in the hopes that a guy who started the game on the bench and Guillermo Heredia is going to be able to do something about it, when Dansby is far more likely to be able to do something, again, a fastball hitter, and you're squaring him around to bunt, and then you don't get the bunt down to where it's a sacrifice bunt. They actually get the force at second. All of it was bad. Don't sacrifice bunt unless you're, like, as long as they're going to have pitchers hitting, then I don't like it, but, like, it's definitely better than what the most of the alternatives are with, with pitchers hitting at this point. But when you have Dansby up there, against that guy it's actively terrible like actively awful and i was i was i i honestly thought that like i was going to think about this at the end of the game where like what could have been really really dicey extra innings where you know all of a sudden like you know we're gonna see like drew smiley having to throw meaningful oh, i was ready for it I was ready for, I was ready for drew smiley i was ready yeah and then i'm thinking you know you you have a guy who can hit fastballs against a guy who throws only fastballs and like, and Dansby was not going to like swing at that, like stuff at his eyes that was being thrown at like Darno and things like that. And that earlier in that bat. So like you potentially can get another runner on base and, and instead you bunt in that situation where like bunting is almost like is such a low, low, low percentage play. I, I was not happy that, that, that was the play. That was the one call that I was like genuinely upset about. Yeah, I thought that was the worst decision of the night by by Snit was to have him, was to have him bunt there for all the reasons we just laid out. Uh, it didn't work out, and honestly, it's kind of funny now. But uh, Gratterall's throw to second base was not a good throw. That could have been a second. That could have been center field pretty easily. It was a nice. It's actually a nice pick, um, which is foreshadowing, I suppose, because um, you know one key thing that's gone under talked about is after this play. So there's a guy at first and one out still. Heredia grounds out, but Desby gets to second base. And uh, that was huge because uh, you, you needed him to be on second base to score on what uh, when uh, Rosario ambushed the first pitch. Um, and Dave Roberts goes away from Gratterall and goes to Kenwood Jansen. I, I don't hate going to your closer there. He's your best guy in your mind. But Rosario, wisely, in a veteran move, just kind of ambushes one and smashes it. I mean, he hit, hit the ball very, very hard. I, I do yeah, think... Yeah, he almost took Kenley's head off. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was almost... At least, um, you know, deflected by Jansen, but it wasn't. I do think I'm not trying to pour cold water on it. I do think that Seager needs to make that play. Like, I think that he needs to at least like knock the ball down. Like he tried to barehand it for reasons passing understanding. I don't know what he was trying to do there. Um, again, trying to lose his hand. That's a pretty much. I mean, I guess. I mean, I, I, again, credit to Rosario. That ball was smoked, so it's not like he didn't earn the base hit. But I don't know what Seager was 
doing. Um, it was not a good play by Corey Seager. Um, and, you know, running on contact, and they score, and that's the end of that. Uh, did you think – I mean, it has to be scored. I think it has to be scored a single, and it was. But I just thought that, like, more often than not, Seager's got to at least knock that ball down. I mean, I don't care at this point because the Braves won the game. But uh, I was surprised it was, like, not more of a focus. I think I was like, all right. I mean, clearly it was the it was the heroics of Rosario, but I thought it was kind of a bad defensive play. I don't know. I, I think it, I think that it was like it's kind of like the the bad route towards a ball that you're probably never going to catch anyway. Does that make sense? Maybe, yeah, yeah. You like I, I don't know if like even if he does what he's supposed to do in that situation, he gives it. Like, cause that ball was knuckling away from him and like was annihilated. So I, I'm not so certain that that play gets made regardless. And I think the result is probably the same. I think it's fair to say that, you know, Corey, like people can wonder what might have been if he made a, like a fantastic play on that. But I, I think that it would have taken a really good play to get that ball. Right. Yeah, that's, based, uh, on, that's, based on where, based, based on where he was positioned. Um, well, and now, also I, that, 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 he was in a weird spot. Of, of the, I mean, they were, they were kind of shifting as well. Like he wouldn't have been there where he was if they weren't. So it's like, I know they're used to it, but he also was in a spot where he's not always used to playing. Like he's like right, it's like right behind the bag. I mean, he hit the ball right over the bag, basically. Yeah, and it's that, and like the how the ball comes off the bat, like you know, again, like it was that ball was not like a. If you watch it, and I'd have to look at it again just to like make sure, but it did look like it was kind of knuckling away from him. A little so bit. So he honestly might yeah. have just, it might have just thought that he just had a better play on it. And he was, you were blocked by Jensen too. So like you know, it's kind of hard. Like when the balls hit that hard, and you have like. 0.2 seconds to react to it and you just don't have a good view of it like the like those sorts of things happen but he did not make the correct move towards the ball no but at the same time <laughs> like i'm not sure if that would have mattered i'm just not yeah that's probably fair i think i'm maybe picking on too much but um obviously we talked about it at the beginning but rosario uh credit to him four hits he was awesome in this game and um every starter had a hit in the game except for freddie freddie is a little it's bit been, lost right now fair. Um, seven strikeouts through his first eight. eight yeah, I mean, he, had, he's, he had seven. He had seven straight strikeouts. He finally, he finally hit the ball on his last at bat today. Um, it's kind of crazy because it's like right after his biggest hit, maybe ever, like the home run in the Brewers series, and it was like, all right, he hits this thing and celebrates, and now he looks like he's completely out of sorts. But um, I'm not worried about Freeman. It's just worth noting. Um, the bullpen has been very good again. Uh, you know, obviously they had a little bit of a hiccup today with uh, Matzik and Jackson, but. Those guys have been lights out, and even if you factor that in, they threw six innings with two runs, which you got to kind of take. Uh, so against this Dodgers lineup, you're yeah. just not gonna get like you, they're gonna give up some runs. Like I, I just, I mean, just you just look at it and you're just like, how how do you like shut out that lineup for six innings? <laughs> like I just don't see how it's possible. Now the Dodgers did their absolute damnedest to try to put a bunch of runs on the board. There was a lot of base runners in this game for the Dodgers. Yep. Uh, they, they drew nine walks in the game, I think yet nine, um, you know, in addition, yeah, nine walks. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's honestly, it's kind of hard to think that they only scored four runs in this game um, with all the opportunities they had. Cause I mean, nine walks, was there two by pitches and or lo- one? And lo- say that one more time. Two hit by pitches or one? I mean, they had they had stolen bases. Just uh, Justin Turner got hit by a pitch, and yeah, they had four. They also had four stolen bases. Um, you know, yeah. like force outs where like you know the guy gets on and all that other stuff. And you know, like by the way, hat tip to some defensive plays, particularly by one Eddie Rosario who made a really good play on a Trey Turner ball. No, no, glove man, Eddie Rosario. Oh. 
<laughs> I, I could, of all the guys to make that play in the outfield, I couldn't believe it was him. Couldn't yeah, believe that's, it. Uh, that's well said. Um, anything else you want to say about tonight? Because obviously we'll look ahead at the end of the podcast to game three and beyond. But, you know, we talked about it. Awesome win. Balanced win. Uh, clearly the hero is Rosario, but uh, a lot of other secondary heroes around the around the way, you know, Riley, uh, the bullpen, et cetera. Anything else you want to say about this one? Yeah. Um, you know, generally speaking, in terms of like the best postseason games for a team or whatever, like they only really come in series wins. Like you don't really think of the like the great wins when you like lose four games to one or whatever. But if the Braves advance to the World Series, like this is like probably one of the better and like far more fascinating games in like certainly recent Braves postseason history. And like you can make a case that like going back into the 90s, like you circle this one as like, wow, this was a unbelievable game uh, a lot of weird stuff happened but a lot of really cool stuff happened too uh, from both sides and i think that you know overall like this is when you circle absolutely it absolutely is and we'll see how things change uh in either direction on tuesday so day off monday for travel a, a long flight ahead for all parties involved three thousand miles or so out to la uh, shouts to Bill Plachke, making himself lots of friends in the Atlanta area um, on this. Yeah, he, yeah, he's he's gonna have a fun day tomorrow, where basically everyone on Braves Twitter is just gonna be in his mentions constantly, which uh, is exactly what he wanted, by the oh, way. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, but, yeah, he's a yeah. he's kind of a legendary uh, stir of the pot, so I'm not surprised. It's just kind of funny. Um, and it's this weird is... that he could you, he could just actually just you know cover the sport and probably do just as well, but you know <laughs> here we are. He's a columnist. He's a uh, he's a capital C columnist back in the uh, back in L.A. Um, but, you know, aside from the obvious implications of the game itself and the Dodgers having to really have some urgency at this point, uh, it's Morton versus Bueller in Game 3, and that is a heck of a matchup on paper. You have Morton now fully rested, two, two more days off. He's been awesome in the postseason and really the last several seasons. Walker Bueller is one of the best pitchers in the league. He was like a top six or seven guy this year in the National League. A mid-twos ERA. Uh, he's good against kind of everyone. Um, playoff ERA is good, career 2.50. Like, he's a very, very, very good pitcher. Um, he's not quite Max Scherzer in terms of, like, stature in the league, but he's not much different in terms of the practical applications in 2021. So uh, a headline-worthy matchup on the mound. And, you know, it goes without saying, but the Dodgers kind of have to have this one, and the Braves uh, can put a stranglehold on it on some level if they win this one. I will say the early betting market is leaning toward the Dodgers. Not surprising. The game's in L.A., uh, but... What are you looking for in Game Three? Because uh, it's it's still a day and a half away at this point, but a big one, obviously. I think Morton's going to be awesome, uh, just because he has been awesome. Um, I think you will just put together a really good outing. Uh, the trick for the Braves in this one is what they did against Scherzer in this one, which is getting him out of the game early. And I think that this is a Braves team that has had success against him. Now, the the, the most impactful swing that's happened against Marco Bueller. Uh, from the Braves is from a guy who's currently injured, so you know we can't be too excited about that. But Hi, at the same time, yeah, we 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 see Ronnie. I'm glad that I was so happy when they introduced him before Game One. Like he, just, he did was, some media today. He did some. He did like a full press conference, I think, because he talked to. Uh, yeah. I know we talked to Dob. Uh, it was in his story that he wrote. So yeah, Ronnie, he's, Ronnie's uh, back around for a while. It's good. Yeah, yeah, we 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 we've missed you, Ronnie. Uh, come back soon. But uh, I I think what has to happen in that game is now that you've had two games where the Dodgers have had to like pull out the stops with their bullpen and they've lost both of those games, they get a day off, which is like a non-zero consideration here. But setting up the rest of the series is that if they can get run up Bueller's pitch count 
and just get him out of the game and kind of make the Dodgers have to make some like tough bullpen decisions. If that happens, if I'll say this, if Bueller pitches less than five innings in game three, regardless of the result of game three, I think the Braves win the series. I think it like matters that much because sure, I mean, wow, just plant your flag right here on the podcast. It's like, uh, one well, uh, look, as well. you know, now if they, if he goes five or more, then like maybe you can preserve some arms or whatever. What, and... what if he throws four and two thirds? I said what I said. <laughs> okay, all right. I said I, 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 I look. It's it's on the record now. If he pitches less than five innings, I wrote down. If he pitches less than five innings. I think the Braves win this series, um, and because in that situation, I don't think that they pull him from a game that they're winning five to one, for example. Sure. Uh, so like you, you that that means they're probably in a like a decent position to win that game. And even if they don't win that game, like you, you're really starting to tax the bullpen. Uh, and I do think that Morton is going to like throw significant innings, which will allow the Braves to kind of maybe give a guy or two or some rest. I I think that that's what it comes down to in this series. I, I like in terms of picking like handicap the game. I don't know how you handicap the game. Morton versus Bueller. Uh, these, these teams are like these, these games have been close in like really weird situations already. And when you have those two guys on the mound, I, you know, you flip a coin for me, but in terms of how like the dynamics of this series is that if he throws less than five innings, the Braves are going to win this series. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. If there's a way to bet on that, uh, I'm not sure there is, but um, if there is a way, someone, someone will find all the, it. Uh, all there is now, you know, noted betting expert Brad Rollins about to be taking some, uh, some taking some bets on Twitter.com. Yeah, we'll take some action. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Send some <laughs> tweets at BT Rollins. Yeah. I was, looking at, I was looking at the market, and, uh, you know, the Braves are favored to win the series now for the first time um, in the betting market. Um, 538 has the Braves at 64% to win the series. Fangraphs is 69.2, a very nice for, uh, figure. And, yeah, I, I don't know how to feel about I mean, I guess I'll ask you, does that feel like the right range? Is it too low based on a 2 nothing lead? You know, this is a weird one because they're going back to L.A. for three. People have to be reminded of this. It, it's a 2-3-2 format in baseball which is not how other sports do this thing but uh that's i'm not sure what it even means like my favorite slash uh, least favorite memory of this is the braves winning the first two games in new york in 96 and then coming home and losing all three um that's why i remembered it more than anything else but does that seem right to you does that seem low to you like projection wise at this point if I was just eyeballing it and like, like I don't have a projection model that I have like put forth in front of me or anything like <laughs> you that. You don't? Uh, no, no. I, I go to Ivan for that sort of stuff. Uh, okay. And I guarantee you he has one. Yes, <laughs> I'll, I'll bet does. all the money in my pockets that he does. I would probably guess 60, 65. I, I, I have a lot of respect for this Dodgers team. I picked, I picked the Dodgers to win this in six, by the way. And they're like, you know, I'm not on pace to do particularly well with that prediction, which by the way, I'll Good. happily be, yeah. I'll be thrilled if that happens. But you know, I picked the Dodgers in six. I have a lot of respect for this team. They, that, that off that lineup. I understand that they've been inconsistent uh, at times this season and in particular during the series, but I have a lot of respect for what they can do. I mean, they have a, the top of their pitching, their rotation is legitimately good. Uh, and they have some good guys in their bullpen. I have a lot of respect for that that team. So I'm like, it's not going to shock me if they like come come out of the gates like and go wild out there in L.A. Right? But I I think that the the, the Braves have two games in their pocket, so they they should be favored. Uh, it's not it's a very difference between up 2-0 versus you know tying the series, and then all of a sudden it's a best of five series in L.A. with L.A. having three games the first first three games. It's a big big difference. 
So well, yeah, they have to win. Practically speaking, they have to win four out of five, and that's yep. That makes it hard. I mean, yep. Obviously, we saw similarly last year in the same series. Like it can be done, but the Braves are now the favorites with the capital F in this series. Now that doesn't mean they're going to win it, but they certainly should be the favorites. They are the favorites. And, and going to LA now, and they don't have any margin for error. You 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 have a little bit on your side. They have none. They they cannot afford really any kind of step backs when you got to win four out of five games against a, against a quality opponent. And the Braves are obviously a quality opponent. And I'll and I'll say this: the the big difference between last year and this year is that there was basically no days days off uh, in the series last year. Oh, yeah, and there, it was there were very. None. It was yeah. very. It was very. It was very clear that the Braves were gassed at the end of that series. That is not the case this year. And, you know, when you have those days off built in, you can get bullpen guys some rest. You can, you know, you can like, you, you can do a little bit more planning and managing of like how people, how guys get rest, how guys get medical treatment and all that other stuff. I think that if, like there's a regular format like this year, if that happened last year, the Braves like, win that game in six games, win that series in six games. Whereas I, I you know, and this year we'll see. I, I'm, I am certainly... I'm already on record saying the Dodgers winning in six and like, you know, going back on it at this point, like it's, it's a little silly uh, with the caveat that if Bueller pitches less than five, like you'll, you'll be hearing from me that I think the Braves are going to take it. The, mo- the most like distinct prediction you may have ever made on this podcast. I really, I really enjoyed that as a kicker to this show. Uh, and I guess you heard it here first. Uh, if, if I forget this, I have it written down and uh, we can talk about it again at some point on this, <laughs> I, on this podcast, uh, but Oh, I, I imagine if he throws four and a third, I'm going to be getting some tweets, and that's perfect. I cannot, fine. I cannot wait for him to for him to throw four and two thirds shutout innings, and then it's like uh, it's like eight nothing Dodgers when he leaves. There, the there's game. there's some early favorites in the betting markets as to who's going to be sending those tweets. By the way, uh, Joe Joe it. Carson will be sending. Yeah, will, will yeah. be the clubhouse leader. Hi, Joe. Uh, Joe Joe loves the show. He he likes to yeah. likes to needle us a little bit. At any rate, uh, yeah. we've covered a lot of ground, Eric. Um, it's very late on the East coast where we were both recording. Um, obviously we talked about it a lot, but the Braves, it's, it's been a lot of fun. That's kind of been the theme here. Uh, Eddie Rosario, Ron Washington. I can't, I can't even say his name without laughing uh, in the best possible way. <laughs> that, that, I was laughing. So it was such a Ron Washington send too. Just the way just he like, carries himself too after it. Like he, like, yeah. like he's not even like, there's no pressure at all. Like, he's just like, Oh, that was like, fine. Like, that was, that, that was what was going to happen. Oh, yeah. it was incredible. Um, so yeah, Braves lead to nothing in the series. We'll have much, much more to come. I believe you will probably hear from Sean Coleman on the off day uh, to to sort of gather any news that comes up between now and uh, Game 3, which arrives late on Tuesday. Actually, it's early on Tuesday. Uh, That's actually actually something I wanted to point out, is that it's a 5-ish p.m. Eastern time start on Tuesday. The rest of the series is like 7.30 or 8. This is the one earlier game in the series is Game game 3. Uh, so keep that in mind. It's a afternoon tilt in Los Angeles. Uh, other than that, we'll always be here. So please subscribe to the podcast. Eric, where can people find you on Twitter and elsewhere? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, you can follow my work over on TalkingChop.com, uh, where I'm sure I'm going to be kind of chipping in here and there with you know coverage. Uh, a bulk of what you're going to be seeing or hearing from me is going to be on this podcast stream. Uh, I will say that I thoroughly enjoyed my family vacation up there in Cooperstown, New York. But at the same time, like I was, it, it definitely kind of stunk. I, I missed talking to you about baseball, playoff baseball podcast with you and Scott. It's, you know, it, it's 
a lot of work, obviously. We're sitting here, it's almost 1 a.m. Uh, we're sitting here talking about a game where we're both exhausted from a lot of travel and other things going on. But I, I was genuinely, I missed doing it with the Brewers series. So I was happy to be able to talk to you tonight. Yeah, it was fun. I appreciate you doing it, as always. And we will uh, have podcasts after every game with some combination of us, whether it's uh, the two of us or me and Scott or Scott and Eric or Sean and Eric or whatever we do. There'll be a podcast after every game. I can assure you of that. And you can get it all at one place. Also, Eric is one of the co-hosts of the Road to Atlanta podcast with Daily Hammer. There's a lot of content in this feed as well as the written side, talkingjump.com. So support us via whichever podcast platform you'd like to listen to shows. And subscribing subscribing on those platforms is huge. Reviews, uh, comments on the website, all that fun stuff. And thank you as everyone for uh, listening to the podcast. Thanks to Eric. We'll see you all at some point, but definitely after Game 3. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.